to the Keep It Quirky podcast. I'm your host, Katie Quinn, and this is the podcast where I talk with creatives and entrepreneurs about everything from food to travel and the discipline and drive to create. Passion begets passion. So come on with me and let's do this. Hey, hey, uh, it feels good to be back. I took my first ever little hiatus from the podcast. I had a work project that took me to the States to host a travel video series. I've also been recording some really exciting interviews for you all. So get excited, get buckled in, because the next couple of months are going to be just jam-packed with rock stars as guests on the podcast. Okay, maybe not literal rock stars. I'm not having like Bruce Springsteen on, but some really incredible incredible, impressive, inspiring people. And I've got to say, it feels good to be back with you all and to be back in your pretty little ears. Before we get to today's episode, let's talk ice cream, because you might think that summer is ending, but it is still ice cream season in New York City. How about flavors like rose with cinnamon roasted almonds, masala chai, and mango and cream? Yeah! Malai Ice Cream is a South Asian-inspired spice-forward ice cream company in New York City that is building out its first brick-and-mortar store in Cobble Hill, Brooklyn. They don't want you to have to wait, so they are popping up their own store. Stop by Monday through Friday, 530 to 930 or Saturday and Sunday noon to 10. The Malai pop-up is at 268 Smith Street in Cobble Hill and it'll be going on through the rest of 2018 until its grand opening next year. Hours and flavors will be announced on their Instagram at Malai underscore ice cream. That's M-A-L-A-I underscore ice cream. So for as long as I've been making videos, people have asked me how I got into it. And from talking with my fellow YouTuber friends, I can tell you that everyone's story is really different. It's just one of those things where no one's path is the same. Recently, my friend Vetica of the popular YouTube channel Hot Chocolate Hits came to London. We met up and I thought I'd bring her on the pod briefly to say hi and to say a couple words about her path. Hi, Vetica. Hello. <laughs> Your YouTube channel, Hot Chocolate Hits, just hit over 100,000 subscribers. Yes, we did uh, <laughs> earlier this year. That was very exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So how did you start your YouTube channel? How and why? So, um, well, I, I always, like, for as long as I can remember, I've loved making cakes. And so um, I love baking and I love desserts. And then I, I remember when I was in sixth grade or something, I would watch people online make it. And I was like, you know, maybe I can try to do this. And my mom was like, oh, you know, why don't you? start making videos so it started with that and then um like i made how, it. how old were you when you started so the first videos i did were when i was 11 or 12 wow. but then i deleted those because uh <laughs> yeah i don't know they were just for fun and then i started hot chocolate hits when i was uh 14 i think like in eighth grade it wasn't just about the food but for me it was also about learning photography and learning film um and meeting people and connecting with people through that so uh it wasn't then it became not just about the food, but about everything around the food. Now at university in Amsterdam, Vetica was in London for an internship at a British food magazine. So I am doing a two-week work experience with a food magazine. Are you learning a lot about British food specifically? Um, yeah. Are you familiar with savory pies? Yes. <laughs> because you are all about desserts. And so I imagine usually when you think pie, you think sweet pies. But have you had a savory pie? Um, I haven't had one here per se, but I have like I've made savory pies that are British recipes like from the BBC. 
There's a woman in England who knows just about everything there is to know about British savory pies, and her name is Sarah Pedigree. It's fair to call her the pie queen of England. Sarah owns a very successful artisan savory pie business called Bray's Cottage, based in Norfolk, England. We met when I was on a photography assignment for the food website Serious Eat. I was sent a couple hours outside of London to Norfolk to photograph Sarah's epic wedding pies. If you're not sure what that is, picture a big, multi-tiered situation, much like a traditional wedding cake, but made of piled high savory pies. It is quite impressive. It kind of screams celebration. So Sarah makes these incredible showstopper celebration event pies, but she also makes and is actually really well known for her individual pork pies. I am thrilled to have Sarah on as today's guest. She has an understated kindness and happiness that just makes her a lovely human to be around, and I so enjoyed our conversation. In this episode, Sarah tells me how and why she made the very conscious transition from management accounting to starting her own savory pie business. Side note, savory pies are one of my favorite things about living in England. Why are they not a thing in the States? Anyway, you'll hear all about what makes Sarah's pork pies unique on the market, how she strategically determined how to position her company so that it could be a sustainable employment opportunity for her, and she talks about the hard work it takes to run your own business. She also talks about how social media has given her business access to others in the food industry all over the UK. I mean, she's based in a kind of remote rural part of the country, and for her, social media allows her to be there and have a thriving business. Here's my interview with the pie queen herself, Sarah Pedigree of Bray's Cottage. Hi, Sarah. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. It's so nice to meet you. Thank you, and you. And in Norwich, a couple of hours outside of London, and it seems to be really beautiful out here. It is, it's lovely. It's an unappreciated, beautiful, medieval city of stories. Ooh, what kind of stories? It's It goes back thousands of years, Norwich. It's uh, Saxon and Norman and... Huguenots coming from overseas and all sorts of things like that. And it's still a medieval street plan with a lot of medieval buildings. And it's just a fabulous city with lots of trees and churches. That sounds like the dream. (laughs) It really does. (laughs) And a river. Oh, yeah, it's got a river. Oh, and the river. (laughs) So it captured your heart when you came out here for university, right? Yes. You're from the Midlands originally. Yes. But there was no going back after you came here, except for a brief stint (laughs) in accountancy. (laughs) Oh, no, I did the accountancy here. Oh, really? Yeah. So so Norfolk does seem to be a bit of a vortex, certainly the sort of time that I was at UEA, which is the university, it was known as the place where most people then settled uh, and remained in Norfolk. So there's a lot of my friends have never left. It's kind of remote, um, as you would have found. (laughs) (laughs) And especially the further you get out of Norwich, the more remote and isolated it gets. But that's part of the appeal. It's it's still quite wild, Norfolk, um, underpopulated and things which, you know, to me were very attractive things. But there's also a lot of things here, a lot of culture. Well, um, and, and it being, you know, quote unquote remote has not stopped you from creating a bang and very successful business. No, well, I mean, the truth is that these days, in a lot of ways, it doesn't matter where you are. You know, you can still access people, you can still access 
means of making yourself known and you can most importantly for us you can access distribution yes careers and things my entire career is based on the fact that the internet is everywhere yeah right so as long as i have either my audio equipment or my camera and access to the internet it doesn't really matter where I am. But so I was intrigued to hear you say that because you create a product, yeah. an edible yes. <laughs> an edible product at that, right? So it's not just like shoes can be jostled around in a box. Yeah, tell but me it can, But it can be in a way. I mean, you've got, you've got sort of limitations on the shelf life. For me, my pork pies, because we don't put any preservatives or in, it's seven days is what we set from when they're baked. With my pork pies, for instance, um, you've got seven days shelf life from when you bake them. Then they can go out in a box with a courier with some ice packs and they can go pretty much anywhere over the UK overnight and then when they get to the other end there's still six days on them to be sold or eaten or whatever. I could almost be in Park Royal in London, except it's a lot prettier and there are more birds around and things like that. So I don't feel there's any limitation for being in Norfolk, in North Norfolk, which is you know the really remote, pretty part. How often do you make it in to London for, I don't know, businesses or things like that? Uh, did I, have I been this year? Hardly ever. I, I do trip, come down, in, for example, when Ed Kimber did his shoot for uh, the Baking from Scratch magazine. You are featured among a very impressive oh, yes. list of people. <laughs> Claire Patek from Violet Cakes and Chetna McCann and, and Ed Kimber himself, the Dan boy Leopard. who bakes. So congratulations to you. Thank you. That's really cool to be featured with with everyone like that. Yeah, no, it was, re- it was a really lovely day meeting everybody because when people like me get together with other people like me, you know, we've got so much to talk about and so much interest and a lot of us were kind of aware of each other through social media and you know some of us had known each other for years through social media but actually got to be in the same room it was lovely what role does social media play in your business is social media has been really important for me really important for me right from the beginning and I joined Twitter in 2008 so that was quite early on in Twitter and it meant I got access to other people so at that time um, the foodie blogger thing was extremely strong and influential it still is but at that time it seemed to be the people have now gone on to be journalists that's what they were doing it gave me immediate access to them and I you know became real friends in real life friends yeah, with real, these people real life friends yeah. it, it jumped the bridge yeah yeah, yeah totally uh, and and still am um, and so that meant that being in on my own working and a, it was a much smaller business at that stage so I was literally working on my own not necessarily seeing much of other people but having Twitter meant that I was part of that community and up to speed with everything everybody else was doing and enjoying their company because there's all that sort of vibe going on that attracts other people uh, who want to know about you and know about your product and know about the fun that you're having so it's a real way of if you've got a brand twitter certainly at that point was very good at humanizing and Mm. creating a distinct sort of identity around your product even if it was admittedly quite upmarket pork pie yeah yeah it sounds like the community aspect of it that you're describing too was really important to you being 
in Norfolk and yeah. and fee- but feeling like you were with others yeah. who were also interested. I wasn't getting left behind. Mm. You know, I knew what they were talking about. I knew what the sort of current things that were important to the food world right. were and still do. So let's talk about those upmarket pork pies. Oh, okay. <laughs> Tell me about what you make. I mean, I'm just have drooled reading the descriptions of the different seasonal things you include in your pork pies and the, the kind of pork you use makes me feel like I would enjoy eating it, whereas sometimes I'm eating a pork product and I'm going, I feel really bad about myself (laughs) right now. So tell me about what is in your pies. Well, I've always liked food. It will come as no surprise. I'm sure everybody that's been on this podcast has always liked food. <laughs> that, is, that is a common denominator. Yeah, there's a bit of a thread going on there. Yeah. Um, I haven't had any formal training, uh, chef training or anything like that. I, everything I do is based on home cooking and also on taste. In the UK, there's this very strong tradition of pork pies, super traditional almost all very much the same but different qualities so you get ones which are really really cheap getting garage forecourts and you get ones that are made lovingly by butchers but they're all part of that same traditional strand and what I wanted to do because I'd grown up in the Midlands amongst that sort of traditional pork pie I wanted to start again from scratch and make it more about taste and flavour and um, the things that I really liked very quickly I took away the jelly because pork pies are covered uh, inside traditionally with this with this jelly, which growing up I never liked. So we've lost that. Um, and do and you find that like a contemporary taste is not as big a fan of the jelly? Yes, exactly. Yeah. There's a very strong demographic on the old jelly front. Mm. Um, <laughs> and it tends to be younger people and women don't like the jelly. Hmm. And there's an increasingly vanishingly small <laughs> segment yeah. who do. So that's fine. They can have the jelly, but not in my pork pies. And, and one of the very traditional variations of the pork pie is the Melton Mowbray. And that has that that jelly situation. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, I, I didn't, from a marketing point of view, because when I started the business, it was started as a business it wasn't that I made pork pies and people sort of said friends and family said oh you should make this into the business it was started because I didn't want to have to go to work in other people's offices all the time because I trained as a management accountant and that's what I was working at and I wanted to start my own business and it to be successful enough to continue so that meant that I was had to find a space for my pork pies that was different from a Melton Mowbray pork pie and so I developed ones that got interesting flavours so at the moment our seasonal one our summer one is lemon parsley and garlic which is the Italian gremolata mix Mm, and it's very (laughs) Mediterranean and fresh and summery and we mix that through with the pork our basic sort of seasoning is is much more complex people sort of equate it to a bit bit of a sort of charcuterie French charcuterie flavouring going on in there so even the plain ones are kind of interesting um in the winter we do uh, one with fig and orange um i've just stick, stopped picking wild garlic which is our spring one so although they're pork pies they're not pork pies in that very traditional space they're something that is really quite a lot different and you said that. you just recently stopped picking the wild garlic are you the owner of this business with now what 10 employees no it's less than that we're uh, 
as of next week, I think we'll have about seven of us okay, okay. In, in total. Okay. So for the week. Give or take. Also, if you're listening and you hear like a rumbling, there's not an earthquake happening. <laughs> We're in a building and I think people are moving tables and chairs next door. Yes. So just FYI, that's what's happening. <laughs> are you, as the business owner, are you actually the one out there like picking the wild garlic? Yeah, and the wild garlic, every single wild garlic leaf. I'm quite precious about my wild garlic wow. patch. I mean, talk about hands on. I mean, this is the very definition of artisanal. Yeah, the wild garlic. I do pick every single leaf myself because, as I say, I'm very keen on sort of you know making sure my wild garlic patch is happy for next year and all the rest of it. And I quite like just going out in the countryside and doing it. But I have over the years delegated more, so I don't make every single pork pie. But, I mean, um, yesterday I was making some pork pies because we just needed to top up. So I do do, and I do do some baking and things like that. But those are the sorts of things that other people can take the strain on most of what I do on a day-to-day basis is sort of running the business and sales and marketing so just trying to find more nice independent delis and pubs and things like that who think they might be the right sort of people right so you, pork pie. you are quite specific about who you sell the pork pies to like how it gets to the hands of the consumer yes. it is not found in an M&S or a Sainsbury's or a typical grocery no, store no there is this sort of underlying thing about uh, independent businesses that if you're selling to other independent Independent businesses, but then they suddenly see your product in even the very good supermarkets, they'll be less inclined to have it in their deli farm shop. So I've always recognised that um, a certain amount of loyalty to my customers was kind of a worthwhile thing. But also I'm dealing all the time with just really nice people. And deli owners and things like that tend Aww. to be on the same wavelengths. So and how, that's, and how that's Im- pleasurable. How important is that for your day-to-day happiness? Yeah. I mean, that's huge. Exactly, yeah. And that there's, there's plenty of room, you know, if you think the whole of the UK, how many independent farm shops and delis and things like that. So there's always space for me to grow. I do want to rewind and I want to figure out how you got from accountancy to making pork pies. And like you said, you didn't go to cookery school. (laughs) So how did you even know how to make them? Um, They're not that difficult to make really, but I guess because of my sort of um, management accounting background, I knew that Apart from what I was saying about having to have a particular niche that was different to the rest of the market, I knew that it had to be something that would actually make the business sustainable and profitable. So you had that business side. Yeah, so it had to have something that was added value. Mm. The more you can sort of make from your raw materials, the further you take it from your raw materials, the more likely it is that you've got enough margin to be able to survive as a business in there. And the pork pies just sort of... um, I had some friends who had a farm shop and they knew that this sort of thing would work well in the farm shop. So I just took it out and took it to the rest of the UK. What was it like test, like recipe developing? Uh, that's quite good fun. We do it when, whenever we develop a new flavour or something like that. You just sort of write down everything you're doing and just have a nibble and get more people in to have a nibble. And then you say on Twitter that you're having, you know, doing a bit of recipe and then the whole country seems to want to <laughs> have a nibble. So we take take a new product to the farmer's market and see what people think and you just see what people who you know aren't don't have to be nice to you (laughs) say about it and take it from there so does your background in 
manage what is it management management account management so that means you work within businesses analyzing the businesses and things as opposed to working in practice and coming in and doing the annual accounts or audits okay so put yourself back in those shoes Mm. what made you decide to leave because that's a scary thing to leave something really stable and like go after a dream well i'd been edging my way further and further from it i trained because it was a good opportunity at Mm. the time i was given a bursary to train as a management accountant and I took the opportunity because I was all young and ambitious and wanted to get through glass ceilings and good stuff. But then I realised that gradually it wasn't really what I wanted with my life. I wanted to be in my own nice environment running my own destiny. So I actually managed to get out of um, I was in the civil service and the particular area I was in was privatised. So I managed to get out of that on early retirement and I was, I think, just over 30. <laughs> so how, how long? So it wasn't very much money, but it was a reason to do something different. And then I never had a permanent job again after that. I did contracting, so I go into businesses, work on their projects and always have an end date, come out of the business And if they wanted me to stay, I'd sort of say, well, if I can do three days a week, I'll stay. So I was already not in a stable, secure environment. You were doing that quite purposefully. Quite purposefully, um, because I just didn't want to be in that. I didn't want to be in that psychological relationship with an employer where you had um, assessments every six months and somebody was in above you and somebody else was above them. And that just didn't really work for me. It fenced me in too much. You always knew that you had this entrepreneurial spirit yeah and it it sort of found itself through the accountancy as I gradually edged out of it and then um, I just didn't want to be traveling back into the city all the time so I'm sort of 40 minutes away in North Norfolk and we'd moved to North Norfolk from Norwich so I wanted to work where I lived and there isn't a great deal of employment out there. So the only way to do it really was to set up my own business. Simple as that? Yeah. Is that Was it that simple? Yes, it was. I'd sort of I've thought of a few things. I've got a very sort of artistic streak to me. So I'd sort of thought of things like photography and I did some painting and things like that. But nothing actually sort of looked like this is going to pay the mortgage. This was the one that sort of really made me think, yes, this is a, a business where I actually could properly employ myself. So... I want to talk about savory pies for a second because as an American... Alien concept. Alien concept. (laughs) But since... So I've lived in England for about a year and a half and I love savory pies. I I love them so much. And I'm scratching my head going, why does this not... Why is this not a thing, a really popular thing in America? Half in mind to like go back to America and start it. (laughs) and like meat pie business. Exactly. And make it a thing. Yeah. But so talk to me about savory pies here. Okay, right. So uh, in the UK, uh, we are fully on board with savory pies. Um, You're kind of the mothership of savory pies. Yes, yes, we are. (laughs) The rest of the world looks to us to... There are variations like this, the Polish pierogi and things like that. So it's not exclusively British, but it's, it's a big old thing here. There is the whole steak pie thing, steak and kidney pie were 
put any kind of meat in pastry, really. Uh, <laughs> rabbit pie, <laughs> pigeon pie. Uh, there are nursery rhymes with blackbirds in, but nobody does that for real. <laughs> um, and uh, in Scotland, they, they have their wee scotch pies, which I think are mutton. But the pork pie is a very English thing. When I started the business and looked on Google Analytics, you would see on the little map that they give you of where all your hits for your website coming. It was up the spine of the country. It was very much not Wales, not the West Country, very little in Scotland or Ireland. There was quite a lot around East Anglia because obviously that's where I'm based, around London because you've got diaspora for everywhere. And apart from that, it was sort of up the spine of the country, so the Midlands, Yorkshire, that sort of thing. So it's, 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 a, it's a regional meat pie tradition in the UK, but very strong. In, in the West Country, um, they've got the Cornish pasties, which is just a different shaped. Um, and that, that is actually, I am familiar with that in the States a bit. It was brought to um, Northern Michigan. Oh, was it? It's really big in Northern <laughs> Michigan. By the Cornish, presumably. Yeah, and exactly. And there's a lot of mining happening there. Right, because yeah. the Cornish were tin miners. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It comes full it's circle. It's fascinating, yeah. isn't it? Well, how food does go with people. Because I mean, it's the whole thing that, you know, Lots of people who, who've come to this country, sort of, you know, their parents come to this country or whatever, and they say that, you know, the quest for their food to be able to find what home means to their parents, you know, they will travel for hours to just find something that will work to make their food like their Persian food. I've heard yeah. Sabrina Gale say this. Yes. Like, it's, it's important to be able to recreate home as you grew up in it so in michigan the cornish carried on with that's right it is incredible it goes to show how important food is to a sense of belonging and identity and pies are (laughs) and 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 i guess it's something to do with the skill the muscle memory of making something like a cornish pasty or or a pork pie or whatever you know when, when you've learned it and it's a familiar thing it must be very comforting to sort of rehearse that skill in a different place. It must must sort of validate you. So I want to hear about this kind of cohort of other artisans you have around you in North Norfolk, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's certainly in in Norfolk and in North Norfolk. Yeah, we've... Norfolk, anyway, is a food-producing country county because of the shape. It's sort of on a bulge on the side of the country, so it's quite an isolated place, and it's sort of a the sort of place where people make their own entertainment sort of thing. Because you know we're not <laughs> easily access. If you go somewhere, it's usually two or three hours away. That means that this entrepreneurial spirit is quite strong in in Norfolk. And there's the food culture, which is very strong. There's a lot of food grown and fished. There's a lot of producers have grown up around Norfolk. There's all that kind of synergy amongst us. We all buy each other's products and work with each other's products and support each other and are a phone call away from each other. And it's just really lovely. And, you know, I I always say it's, it's like a bundle of twigs. You know, if you get them in a bunch, you can't break them. So we all do, you know, if we want to know anything, we just pick up a phone and just talk to each other and find out and see what's going on. And when you started your business, were there all of these other artisans at that time? Or do you feel like you were kind of the first and they have been popping up over the past decade or so? I do feel that there was a lot less. Um, When I first started, after a 
year or two in, I had this mad idea to just eat Norfolk food and drink for a month because I wanted to celebrate what was around, the amazing food that was around. I chose February, which was a bit of a bonkers yeah, time of year. Yeah, why would you choose February? Why would anybody <laughs> choose February? That was very silly. But it was a time when it, I was quite quiet at work. Right, so, so you, I could kind of devote enough energy to it. Sure. And there were the interesting things around, like, game and things like that. And... Um, cabbages <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh, so I, I set myself this challenge of only nothing would pass my lips unless it had been uh, had been produced or had significant intervention in Norfolk so that means so if somebody was making something and had lemons in that's fine because they were having that intervention in the product and I stuck to it really resolutely for the whole month but at that time there was no for example there was no rapeseed oil producers producing and bottling for the retail market. Everything was going off to bigger producers within Norfolk. And since then, there are several. Um, so there's much more diversity in this. We've been going 11 years as Brace Cottage Port Pies. And there, there's much more diversity within Norfolk now. There's far more producers and there's more popping up and all the time, which is great. Would you say that your producer peers are also working to elevate their given product so you your mission right is to elevate the pork pie Mm -hmm. would you say that that's what each of these artisans are doing for their given product yes i think now you say it i think they are they're they're all making something interesting and different um so i've got a friend uh sarah who produces this uh stuff called bitella um, and it's like the thing that relates to hazelnuts with Ella on the end Ooh. and chocolate. <laughs> yes. But she's making it uh, much more healthy without rapeseed, without, um, not rapeseed, without um, palm oil in. Um, and she's sweetening it partly with beet. And so it's a much healthier and actually less sweet version of a chocolate spread. So she's really innovating it and taking it right up market. And it's just amazing on toast or in porridge or whatever. You get a real chocolatey hit, but you're not getting loads of refined sugar. That's that's, really fun. It's really innovative. There's also kind of the novelty factor of it. I feel like that's going to take off. Yeah, no, she's she's going to do really well with that. So there's loads of people doing really interesting things in Norfolk. I love hearing about all this because it just brings me a lot of like hope. I just like a hopeful feeling that people are so creative and are doing things and are are self-starters. And I just love what you were saying about the community of of twigs. Yeah. (laughs) When they're bundled together, you can't break them. I just think it's really lovely. And I'm glad that you twigs found each other. (laughs) It's much more widespread and um, engaging than ever any of the sort of more conventional jobs I had. It's much harder work as well. You have to work so hard running your own business, which is probably a common theme amongst the people that you've interviewed. It definitely is, but then everyone says, but I would have it no other way. Yeah, it it makes you unemployable, I think. (laughs) Because, you know, you've experienced this and there's very little going back. So I hate to wrap things up already because I'm so enjoying talking to you, but I do have to catch a train <laughs> back do. to we London. Have to send you back to London. But before I leave, I have to ask you, how do you keep it quirky? Um, I think by limiting my boundaries. Um, I, you know, I, I, I do what I want and I find a way to do what I want. And 
when I first started the business, I sat down and talked to a friend who did coaching, executive coaching. Um, and she said, what do you really want? We talked about it for quite a while. And the thing that kept coming up was, I want to have fun. So that's what I do. I have fun. And I just make sure everything we do has fun in it. Pie queen, Sarah Pedigree. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. It's been brilliant fun. Thanks again, Sarah, for coming on the podcast and for sharing your path and passion. One of the great things about savory pies is that they're great all year long, which is exactly how I feel about ice cream. <laughs> Thanks to Malai Ice Cream out of Brooklyn for sponsoring this episode. Malai has amazing, really fun flavors like rose with cinnamon, roasted almonds, masala chai, and mango and cream. Malai Ice Cream is a South Asian-inspired, spice-forward ice cream company in New York City that is building out its first brick and mortar store in Cobble Hill, Brooklyn. They have a pop-up store open now, so stop by Monday through Friday, 5.30 to 9.30, or Saturday and Sunday, 12 to 10, to grab a scoop. Mention this podcast and get 10% off of your order. The Malai pop-up is at 268 Smith Street in Cobble Hill, Brooklyn, and it'll be going on through the rest of the year until its grand opening. Make sure to follow them on Instagram at Malai underscore ice cream. M-A-L-A-I. And also thanks to my brother, Brian Quinn, for the Keep It Quirky podcast theme. Until next week, don't forget to keep it quirky. 